Take your Bibles, please, turn over to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter number one. Deuteronomy chapter number one. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was Thursday night of Missions Conference. Brother Sorrell preached out of Deuteronomy chapter number one. And uh, he danced around a verse that when I saw it, it jumped off the page at me. I was really glad he didn't preach it. Because I wanted to. And I started working on it the next morning, as a matter of fact. And so this thing's been on the back burner in the crock pot since Thursday morning of last week. And it turned into more than I could preach in one message. And so we'll see how far we get tonight. It might be two or three messages before we get it all. Powerful, powerful truth that the Lord showed me from Deuteronomy chapter number one, where the nation of Israel, children of Israel, at a place called Kadesh Barnea, uh, which uh, Brother Sorrell brought that out last week in verse number 19. They came to Kadesh Barnea. So we're going to look at a couple of things in this story. You can go ahead and turn over to Numbers 13 and put a bookmarker or a piece of paper there. We'll go there in just a moment for the meat of the message. But we're going to look introduction points out of Deuteronomy chapter number 1. And um, I'm going to let you be seated, stay seated, because there are several aspects in this story that I would like to point out. Uh, by way of introduction, I've got a lot I want to say before I get into the introduction, but I will give you the title of the message, it's preaching on the delusions of disobedience. The delusions of disobedience, and it'll make a whole lot more sense once we get into it, uh, but um, if you'll just give me a couple minutes to get the engine running here. I'll bring you up to speed with where we're at with that title. Um, there are several aspects in this story that I want to point out, but we'll come back to one of them in just a minute and expound on that one uh, for the next couple of messages on Wednesday nights. But if you can notice with me the series of events that transpired with the nation of Israel as a result of disobedience. Now, when we talk about disobedience, we're talking about a willful decision to not do something that you know God wants you to do, okay? That's pretty broad, but it, 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 it deals with a lot of areas in the Christian life. Um, there, there's, there's many ways that you and I can disobey. The young people just a minute ago were singing, I will obey the first time I'm told. Remember that song they just sang? I was taught as a child, my parents said to me often, delayed obedience is disobedience. And uh, we will definitely see uh, uh, an allusion to that, alluding to that tonight. But in our text, just to bring you up to speed, the children of Israel have already been brought out of Egypt. They've been brought through the Red Sea. They've gone through the wilderness and they got to the Jordan River. They got there and... Um, they sent spies into the land, 12 spies into the land, verse number 23. Uh, they took 12 men, they went and searched out the land, verse number 24. And the Bible says uh, in verse number 26, notwithstanding, you would not go up. So we see in verse 26, it's not on the screen, but you want to write this down, it's about six or seven point outline right quick. We see the disobedience in verse 26. Ye would not go up but rebelled. 
against the commandment of the Lord your God. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? You would not go up. God wanted them to go up. It's the good land, verse number 25. It is a good land which the Lord our God hath given us, notwithstanding you would not go up. Well, that right there is where many Christians hit the brakes and put it in park in their own spiritual life when they would not. They just would not. They would not. God wants them to. God wants you to move forward. God wanted them to cross over the Jordan River, go into Canaan. That was his will. That was his plan. There was no question about it. There have been people questioning God's will about certain things. Well, I don't know if this is God's will. I don't know if it's God's will for me to move. I don't know if it's God's will for me to change jobs. I don't know if it's God's will for me to change churches. I don't know if it's God's will for me to date him or her or marry him or her. There was no question. This was not a gray area. It was very clear that this is what God wanted them to do. That's why he brought them out of Egypt, was to cross over Jordan and go into Canaan. Can we all agree on that? But the Bible's clear also in verse 26, notwithstanding ye would not go up. The disobedience started a ripple effect. Disobedience is in verse number six. Then we see the delusion in verse number 27. And ye murmured in your tents, and said, because the Lord hated us. He hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. They're, they're deluded. <laughs> this is serious delusion here. All right? We're going to come back to that and preach on it in a few minutes for a couple of nights. There was a delusion that was the result of disobedience. Now listen to me very carefully. That's why this has been such a fascinating Verse to me, and the more I looked at it and the more I chewed on it, the more I realized there's a consistent theme throughout the whole Bible that when you refuse to do what God very clearly tells you to do, there's an, there, is an, there is a reaction. Satan sticks his foot in the door. Every single time. And it will result in you having such a cockeyed perspective of things that there's no telling where you're going to end up. No telling. So we see the disobedience in verse 26. We see the delusion in verse number 27. We see the discouragement in verse number 28. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart. A lot of times you meet people that are in a perpetual state of discouragement. You could probably trace it back to an act of disobedience. You see in verse number 29 and 30, you see the dread. Then I said unto you, dread not. It's just God's will going into Canaan. Cross over Jordan, going into Canaan. They got so fouled up, they were dreading the will of God. They were dreading it. Just the thought of it made them sick. And then we see the doubt in verse number 31 down through verse number 33. Yet in this thing, ye did not believe the Lord your God. And that's always the reason why people disobey. In the first place, they really do not believe God. They believe their emotions. They believe their own reasoning. They believe their own mentality, their own intellect, even above God. You got to, to argue with God. The minute you open an argument with God, you've elevated your own IQ above that of God's. Let's just be honest. The minute you argue with God, you're telling God, I know more than you do. My daddy used to have a saying. He would say, you'd argue with a signpost and take the wrong road home. 
And there's people that will argue with God and think somehow or another they're going to end up at the right place. It ain't happening. But that doubt, that, that refusing to believe the Lord your God is what started that whole process. And then the results in verse number 34 and 35, the Lord was wroth and swearing to them, not one of these shall see that land. There was a denial or there was a refusing to allow to go in. They were deprived, put it that way. There was a deprivation. And whenever you disobey, listen to me young people, listen to me, listen to me. When the minute you disobey God, you go down that road, it's gonna end up God is going to deny you and deprive you of the blessings that he originally intended for you to have. You can't disobey God and have the blessings of God too. Mamas and daddies, you can't disobey. We can't deliberately rebel against what we know God wants us to do and expect God's blessings. That's not how it works because you reap what you sow. So the message that's on my heart tonight is a simple truth. Once you decide to disobey God, Satan will then begin to work delusion in your heart and mind. It's not just a random incident. It's throughout Scripture. Satan's desire for you and for me is to disobey God and his word. We know that. That's God's plan. That's Satan's plan to get you to disobey God. And once we start leaning in that direction, the lies of the deception and the delusion starts to take over. This connection between disobedience and the resulting delusion is throughout Scripture. Let's go to the first mentioned principle. Let's, first, let's go to the first example in the Bible of disobedience. Go to Genesis 3 right quick. Go to Genesis 3 right quick. The very same points that we're going to bring out in this message in the next one or two, ever how many it takes us to get through this message on the delusions of disobedience, the same points that I'm going to bring out that happened in Deuteronomy 1 and Numbers 13, same, same story, same incident, Two different accounts, same story, same place, Kadesh Barnea. The same points that I'm going to bring out of Deuteronomy 1 and Numbers 13 are consistent with the very first act of disobedience that we find in our Bible, and that is the act of disobedience in the Garden of Eden. It was literally smothered with delusion. If you look with me in Genesis 3, look at verse number 4. The Bible tells us that, that, that Satan was the beast, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, verse one. He said to the woman, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, we, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the trees which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse four, serpent said unto her, you shall not surely die. All right, there's, the, there's the devious lie. Ye shall not surely die. And that's exactly what the devil will say to you about everything that God has ever said to you. Everything that God has ever said to you, the devil will say the opposite. The exact opposite. It, the devil will always put you and I in a crossroads. Are we going to believe God or are we going to believe the devil? Are we going to believe God or are we going to believe ourselves? Are we going to believe God's word or are we going to believe our feelings, our thoughts, our, our, our opinion? And it will always be 180 degrees opposite of what God said. The devious lie, verse four and five, ye shall not surely die. God's lying to you. God just made that up. You can't believe what God said. And then we see in verse number six, the woman saw the tree was good 
for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. The devious lie turns into a desiring lust. Because she listened to the lie, she started looking at it. And the longer she looked at it, the better it looked. And then there was the dangerous leaning. She started leaning. The Bible says in verse six, she took the fruit. She reached up and she picked it off the tree. She reached up and and took it. She's leaning. She hadn't eaten it yet, but she's real close. Listen to me, young people. You won't eat it if you ain't holding it. So leave it alone. She reached up and she picked it. She took it. Longer she looked at it, the better it looked. She reached up, grabbed it, she picked it. She's now leaning dangerously towards the act of disobedience. God didn't say don't touch it. She said God said don't touch it. But God didn't say don't touch it. God said don't eat of it. She said to Satan, God said don't eat of it, neither shall you touch it. But in her own mind, listen to me, in her own mind, even though she was wrong and misquoting God, the minute she reached out and pulled it, in her own mind she was already sinning. (laughs) she knew she had no business touching it and then we see the Bible says there's a tree she saw the tree to be desired to make one wise now there's where the delusion starts to come in this tree is damnation this tree is death eating this fruit is a death sentence God had said, in the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. But her disobedience is now bringing delusion. She saw that it was a fruit to make one wise. And the longer she looked at it, the better it looked. See how the devil works? And then the act of disobedience. The Bible says she did eat. She did eat. Gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. In verse 7, the eyes of them both were opened. Boy, I saw something in that verse that I had never seen before. I don't believe that Adam was standing right there beside her when she ate this. This conversation is between Eve and the serpent. Am I right so far? And the serpent attacked her because the Bible says she was the weaker vessel. So he got her by herself. God had told Adam, don't eat of it. Adam evidently told Eve, don't eat of it. But Adam wasn't there to stop her. She ate of it. Now let me ask you a question. When were her eyes opened? When she ate of it? Or when she went and found Adam and he ate of it? Was her eyes open then or were her eyes open when she ate it? I guess we could debate it. I think her eyes were open when she ate it. She immediately knew she'd messed up. She immediately knew something was different. She immediately knew something was wrong. And yet she still went and found her husband and talked him into eating it. We're talking about delusion. We're talking about the power of delusion that follows an act of disobedience. Are y'all still still with me? We find it in the first act of the Bible of disobedience. We find the delusion attached to it. 
We find the connection in 2 Timothy. I preached on it several weeks ago in the apostasy messages. But 2 Timothy 4.4 says that and they will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They shall turn away their ears from the truth. There's the disobedience. And shall be turned unto fables. There's the delusion. Once you turn away from truth, once you disobey truth, the devil sticks his foot in the door and now you become susceptible and vulnerable to straight up delusion. They'll be turned from the truth and will be turned into fables. Stuff that you and I that know God, know God's word, we go, are you kidding me? And people are a whole hog, 100% in on it. You're going, are you kidding me? No, they will turn, be turned into fables. It's delusional. It doesn't end there. It's prophesied that at the coming of the Antichrist, same thing. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 2. Turn over there right quick. You want to see this. You got to see this. The connection between delusion and disobedience is very clear in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. What did I say? 2 Thessalonians 2. You know where to go. Don't listen to what I'm saying. Just turn there. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. We use this passage in our series on apostasy. Look at what it says in verse number 9. You've got to see this. Well, verse 8. Then shall that wicked, that capital W, wicked, that's the Antichrist. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Look at verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved for this cause, verse 11, God shall send them strong delusion. The delusion was the direct result of their disobedience and rejection of truth. And if that wasn't clear enough, he repeats himself. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Because you had the truth, and you turned from it, you rejected it, you disobeyed the truth, for this cause, God is going to turn you over to strong delusion. We are living in a world today where people are out of their minds. They are absolutely 180 degrees out of their mind away from God, God's word, and God's will. It's because they have embraced a life of disobedience. When you and I as Christians ever get to the place to where we are okay with the small acts, small acts of disobedience, we are setting ourselves up to be lied to, deceived, and become downright delusional. The Bible's crystal clear. Let me turn over to strong delusion. We got people today walking the streets of our city we got preachers standing behind so-called pulpits that are delusional. It's, it's unreal. It's unreal. I almost quoted, almost quoted Andy Stanley. Charles Stanley's son 
tweeted something a couple days ago and he deleted it, but not before people captured it. Saying that our, 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 our faith does not hinge on ancient 66 books. Do you see that? Our faith does not hinge on, and I'm misquoting it, but I'm giving you the general idea. You can research it. Our faith does not hinge on, on the ancient manuscripts of 66 books, but on the person of Jesus Christ. Well, to an idiot, that sounds spiritual. There's only one problem. Everything we know about Jesus Christ come out of those books. Whenever, and here's what God said. God said, I've exalted my word above my name. Jesus was called the Word, capital W. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was made flesh. 1 John 5 says there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. You show me a man that minimizes the Word of God. And I'm going to show you a heretic and an apostate. He's delusional. It's unbelievable. Well, what happens? Acts of disobedience produce delusion. I got four points. We'll run through them as quick as I can. Let's examine how delusional people can become when they decide to disobey. We're now in Numbers 13. You can lose your place in those other, those other books and let's just hunker down right here in Numbers 13 right quick. And I jumped right into the meat of the message. All right, there's a whole lot. Of, I could have preached leading up to this, but Brother Sorrell just preached about Kadesh Barnea last week. So we're already there, okay? We've already been in Kadesh Barnea. This is where they are. There are four things. Well, let me just give you the title of the message now. This is part one. When you get delusional through, after disobedience, you'll be delusional about reality. Let's just start there. You'll be delusional about reality. You will live in an alternate universe. Let me prove it to you. Numbers chapter 13. We know they picked the 12 spies. It was God's will to pick out the 12 spies at the beginning of chapter 13. Send a, send a man, one from every tribe. He gave all the tribes and all this and get down to verse number 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. He said, get you up this way, way southward and go up into the mountain. See the land, what it is. And the people that dwell there, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and that the land... And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. By the way, God already knew all that. God already knew all that. God, God knows everything. I've wondered many times why God even wanted them to send spies in to start with. It was his will for them to go. We can speculate about that, and I've got some ideas, but we'll keep moving. Look at the end of verse number, look at verse number, uh, end of verse number 20. Be you of good courage, bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. Write this down, number one. When you get disobedient and you disobey God, you're going to be delusional about timing. Timing. Now listen to me. This is obviously extremely important or it would not be in our Bible. I do know this, God has a time frame by which he works. God has a schedule, it ain't yours and it's not mine. God has a schedule, God has a time frame. God operates in seasons, God operates in times. And if you and I are not walking with God, and you and I do not walk with God by faith, 
and trust his timing, we're going to miss something that you can never get back. Now, God had already told them what they were going to find when they got there. He said, I want you to go over there and spot out. Find out there's cities, if they're walled. Find out there's a lot of people. If there's not a lot of people, find out they got trees. Find out they got water. Oh, and while you're over there, pick some fruit. Because he knew the fruit was going to be there. Because the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. You know how many people get out of God's will because they balk and they hesitate and they drag their feet and second guess God and they miss an open door and they miss God's timing on something. God's not obligated to keep that door open forever. He's not always going to do to you and me what he did to the people in Noah's day after Noah and his family went in the ark and then left the door open for another week. We got a lot of people that are in a mess because they didn't move when God said move. They didn't do what God said do when God said do it. And they missed it. By the way, this, Brother Sash and I were talking, the grapes in Israel are harvested in the, in, in, in the, in the fall. It was a time of harvest. They didn't, they didn't spy out the land and find little grape seedlings they didn't find clusters of green grapes. They were already ripe and hanging on the vines. What am I saying? God wanted them to cross the Jordan River and go into Canaan and they weren't even going to have to wait. It was right there hanging on the vines. Now this is important. The Bible says the time was the time of the first fruit grapes. The timing of them crossing the Jordan River and going into Canaan could not have been any better. It was a time of harvest, time of plenty. God knew what he was doing, introducing his people to Canaan at the prime time. I mean prime time. It's like, it's like going to Vermont in the fall to see the leaves when they're changing and you get there and the trees are bright orange and bright red and bright yellow and you're taking pictures and you hit it at peak time. He wanted them to cross over Jordan and go into Canaan at the prime time, the peak time, when the first ripe grapes were hanging. Satan will do all he can to get you to delay and procrastinate when it comes to obedience because if he can do that, he can rob you of the unbelievable blessings of God's perfect timing. Many young people think when they graduate from high school that that is the time to them experience freedom from rules and authority and to be able to spread their wings and launch out and go do their thing and sow their wild oats. No, that is the delusion of disobedience. Now is the time for them to put into practice everything they've heard in their Bible classes and their chapel services and their youth conferences and their, and their pastor hours and their power hours. And, and now's the time for you to take everything that God has given you and experience God's blessings. But because many times they refuse to cross over Jordan and go into Canaan, they miss out on all of that. Number two, when you disobey God, you'll be delusional about the taste. 
Now, the Bible over and over and over again emphasizes this fruit. Look at what it says in verse number 20. God said, bring the fruit of the land. He didn't say bring back firewood. He didn't say bring back some buckets of water so you can taste what the spring water tastes like. He didn't say bring back some pouches of soil so you can check out whether or not the soil's fertile. The only thing he wanted to bring back was fruit. You get down to verse number 23, they came upon the, uh, the, the brook of Eshcol, cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes and they bear it between two upon a staff. That's a big cluster of grapes, y'all. I've always heard it preached that they were big grapes, but they wasn't big grapes. They were just a bunch of grapes on a cluster. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. Harvest. They didn't bring back green fruit. They didn't bring back seedlings. They brought back fruit, pomegranates, figs, grapes. They're ripe. They're ready to eat. Look at verse 24. And the place was called the brook Eshkel. Because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from this. The word eschol literally means cluster. The Bible says that they, verse number 26, they brought back word to them after they returned after 40 days and under the, the wilderness of Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Verse 27, this is the fruit of it over and over and over again. God wanted them to taste it. Can we, get, can we agree on that? I think he wanted them to taste it. I think he wanted them to get a little taste of what was on the other side of the river. I mean, it's, he wanted them to enjoy it. They had been eating manna and drinking water since they left Egypt. Is everybody still with me? They had been eating manna and drinking water. Now I know it was called angel's food, but it had to get old after a while. It just had to have. Maybe not, maybe not. Maybe every day it was like it was the first time they ever tasted it, I don't know. But you think about it, that's all they had was manna and a little bit of quail every now and then and water coming out of that rock. And here comes these 12 spies and they've got grapes. And they've got pomegranates. And they've got figs. And they can have fresh figs, they can have dried figs, they can have fig preserves. They can have pomegranates. They can have pomegranate juice. They can have grapes. They can have grape juice. They can have raisins. And they're tasting it. And because of their disobedience to God and they're refusing to do what God said, they turned their back on that amazing sample and taste and they never tasted it again for 40 more years. You know what's amazing to me? That, that God will let people sit in a church like this one and other churches like ours all over the country and get a taste of the power of God, the presence of God, answered prayer, God's power to change lives. And then through disobedience, get them to the point to where they will turn their back on it and walk away from it and go back to man and water. As a pastor, I've shaken my head so many times at people. I'm like, what are you thinking? They're not. They're delusional. 
That's what happens when you disobey. Satan will cause people that have tasted Cana to turn their nose up at it and walk away from it. And God was good enough to give them a taste of it. He didn't even make them have faith. He said, this is what's over there. Here, take a bite. This is what's over there. Taste it. Pomegranates, figs, grapes, they're ripe. <laughs> the woods are full of them over there. The woods are full of them. Let's go. No. Delusional about the taste. Number three, you'd be delusional about the truth. Now we talked about faith. We talked about God could have just forced them to have faith, but he didn't. Look at what it says in verse 27 of chapter 13, number 13. And they told him. These spies are standing there talking to Moses. They've been gone 40 days, this exploration, this spying expedition. They come back and here's what they said. We came into the land whither thou sentest us and surely it floweth with milk and honey. Well, that's what God told Moses in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. At the burning bush, when Moses standing there barefooted, God said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt and I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. It's in Exodus chapter number three. I'm going to read it to you. Verse eight, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. God said that to Moses in Exodus 3, verse number eight. Then the spies came back and confirmed what they had seen with their eyes that God's promise was true. We have seen the land, it, it surely floweth of milk and honey. This isn't a pipe dream anymore. This isn't a bedtime story. This isn't a fable. We heard you talk about it. We've been thinking about it. We've been telling our kids about it. But we crossed over Jordan and we put our eyeballs on it and we're here to report that it is there. Just what God said would be there is there. What we have been thinking about, longing for, talking about, looking forward to, it is true. And they still turned away and walked away from it. One of the most frustrating things for any pastor or parent is trying to convince their child, their young person, that what we're telling you about God, about the will of God, the word of God, about the world, about sin, it's true. It's true. It's not something we just made up. It's not some stories we tell because we ain't got nothing else to do. What we're telling you is things we have seen and witnessed with our own eyes. Peter said like this, we have, I've been, we've been eyewitnesses of his majesty and our hands have handled. <laughs> I'm telling you what we've handled. We've handled it. We've seen it. We were there. We were on top of that mountain when Jesus, what everybody thought was just some old carpenter from Nazareth, we saw him transform talking to Elijah and Moses on top of the mountain. And we heard a voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We were there, we saw it. We're telling you it's the truth. 
But when you disobey to the point to where the devil can get his foot in the door, he can get you to where you're completely delusional about undisputable truth. And the truth had no impact on them. Their minds were made up. They were not going in. The promises of God were now irrelevant. The provision of God was irrelevant. And the performance of God was irrelevant. Why did he send the plagues? Why did he make a path, dry path through the Red Sea? Why has he had water coming out of that rock right there, nonstop, this whole time, manna falling from heaven? Why? Why has he done all this? If you're not going to go over, what was the point? The delusional about the truth. Thirdly, fourthly, lastly, they were delusional about the threat. In verse chapter 13, verse number 28, nevertheless, they said, after they showed them the fruit, <laughs> this surely floweth milk and honey, it's surely floweth milk and honey. Here's the fruit. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Malachites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell by the, uh, by the mountains and, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. There's a lot going for that place, but there's, we got some bad news. There's some really big people, some bad people there. But they already knew that. Because God told Moses that too at the burning bush. In Exodus chapter number three, in Exodus chapter number three, in verse number eight, God said, I'm gonna deliver you into a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. God told Moses, I'm gonna deliver you into a land and all these people are there. That's Exodus three and verse number eight. You get to verse number 16, God said, now I want you to go gather all the elders together and tell them that. And so in Exodus 3, verse 16, go gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I've said, I'll bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites into a land full of milk and honey. God told Moses, Moses went and told everybody. They knew that the land full of milk and honey had all these people there. The spies come back and say, it's full of milk and honey, but we got bad news. There's Perizzites and Hivites and Amorites. I was like, oh no, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Well, God knew that. His will didn't change. God's plan didn't change. God wasn't caught by surprise. Yeah, but he didn't tell us about the children of Anak. They're giants. Well, when you're God, there is no such thing as a giant. I got, I got distracted this afternoon studying those giants in the Bible. I can only find two of them that were named. Goliath was one of them. Another guy named Og, I think. He had an iron bed made, it was about 13 feet long. It's fascinating. A bed made of iron. Six feet wide, 13 feet long. Big old dude. There's only two, two, only two giants named in the Bible that I could find. God ain't worried about giants. 
They don't worry about wall cities. God wasn't worried about that. That wasn't a problem to God. I mean, what are you going to say to a God that lets water pour out of a rock? He's big. Who cares? The God that just made a dry path through the Red Sea. A God who just annihilated Pharaoh and his whole army in the Red Sea and their chariot wheels fell off and they were all drowned and washed up. You going to tell him you can't go in because the people are bigger than you? But you know what happens when you disobey? The battles and the trials and the threats look way bigger than they really are. In fact, their response at the end of chapter 13 was, we are grasshoppers in our own sight. Look at it. Chapter 13, verse 33, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. Wow. And in their sight. Okay. Og maybe been 13 feet tall. 13 feet tall. That's twice the size of me. Watch it. Watch it. That's twice my size. 13 feet. That's me times two. With the Abe Lincoln hat and high heels. And that, that was undoable with the God they had. What happens? The devil will make the threats look way bigger and way worse than they really are. I wished, I wished I had time to go to Amos chapter 2. Amos 2, verse 9, here's what God said. Yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedar, and he was strong as the oaks, yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. God said, that guy was big as an oak tree. I didn't care. Took him out. Took him out. God says, it don't matter how big the enemy is. And it's amazing to me how many people won't live for God because they're not prepared to face the battles of being a Christian. Well, that's how you think when you're used to disobeying. That's how you think when you're used to disobeying the, the, the battles look way worse. The, the wall cities look way bigger. The giants look way bigger. There's no way. You want to know, you want, I don't think I've ever told this. You want to know the statement? It got me right there. When God was starting calling me to Africa. My wife and I went to a missions conference on vacation. There was a missionary there from Africa speaking at the missions conference. We were on vacation. We were on vacation. Took a week off work. Went on vacation. Went to Alfred Willis's church in St. Stephen, South Carolina for the Wednesday night service because I go to church when I'm on vacation. Drove like an hour and a half to get there. We're sitting there and they said, are you going to go over to the missions conference over at so-and-so's? I said, no, I'm on vacation. They said, they're putting everybody up in a motel and they're giving everybody meals. I said, I'm going. <laughs> and I went to a missions conference I went to a missions conference for the free motel and the meals. Don't tell them. And I'm, and I'm there. I'm sitting there. Missionary from Africa. You know what he said? Here's what he said. Brother Brian, here's what he said. He said, I've already figured out why people, why people are not going to the mission field. They're afraid they're going to go over there and get killed. That's what he said. Well, you think, well, yeah. But no, think about it a minute. He said, that's why people are not going to the mission field. They're afraid they're going to go over there. 
and get killed. They're going to go over there and die. And I heard what he said. And he said, well, they don't realize you're going to die somewhere someday of something. Amen. Questions, are you going to die in the will of God or are you going to die in Egypt? You're going to die in the wilderness. Amen. They said, those giants over there, they, eateth, they eat the inhabitants thereof. So guess what they did? They turned and went back into the wilderness and they got eat up over there. Because the threats, the battles, the enemy, the giants, the wall cities were so disproportionate because of their disobedience. They couldn't think for one second God could do anything about it. I got about another two hours worth of preaching, but we're way over time. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe, maybe there's somebody here tonight has been underestimating the seriousness of disobedience. Altar's open. Folks are already coming. Musicians are playing. When you and I deliberately rebel and turn away and balk at God's word, God's will for our life, we open ourselves up to deception, delusion. We will get to the place to where we're, we're not even in touch with reality. These people saw the will of God. They tasted the will of God. They were right there at the threshold of God's bountiful blessings in their life and they turned and walked away. And they missed out. All the older ones died. They never saw it. They never saw it again. Never ate the grapes again. Never had the grape juice again. Never had the pomegranates and the figs again. There may be somebody to get an altar tonight and understand that when you and I disobey God's will, God's word, our understanding becomes darkened. Our minds become darkened. Our hearts become darkened. I challenge you tonight, just, just believe God. Believe God, trust God, obey God. What he's got for you is out of this world. Forty years later, they crossed that Jordan River. God let the walls of Jericho crumble to the ground. Nobody had to lift a hand to do anything. God did it. He could have done it the first time if they'd have just trusted him. 